You're listening to the Author Stories Podcast. Bringing you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Margaret Wise, Sherry Brooks, Sheena Kamal, Matthew Quick, J.T. Ellison, Walt D. Williams, Brad Ford, Corey, Dr. O, Brandon Sanderson, Robin Mom, Ernest Klein, Jim Butcher, Sherwin Harris. Visit HankGarner.com for archives of all the shows. Today's guest is... Thanks for joining me again for the Author Stories Podcast, where I bring you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Today, I'm really excited to have Wanda M. Morris on the show with me. She has an amazing debut novel. This is this is one of the um, most exciting debut novels that I've seen in quite a while. Um, I love this book. I know you're going to love it. Uh, if you're a fan of thrillers and twisty stories like I am, this is a must-have for your uh, to-be-read pile. And you know what? We're entering into the holiday season now. When you're hearing this, it's the 1st of November, and you know all our big gift-giving holidays are next month. And All Her Little Secrets, the brand-new book by Wanda M. Morris, is a perfect stocking stuffer or uh you know a, a, a gift that you want to give someone that you love uh welcome to the show wanda thank you thank you hank for having me i'm excited to have you uh wanda we begin each show with the very same question and that question is what is your first memory of wanting to be a writer or storyteller oh gosh Okay, so if I go in the Wayback Machine, (laughs) (laughs) I think it would probably be when I was maybe entering high school. And um, interestingly enough, I wrote a short story for a class I was in, I believe it was 10th grade, and the teacher called me up to her office. She said she wanted to talk to me about my story. And I thought, oh my gosh, like, did she hate it or did she love it? (laughs) And she she told me, you know, where did you, you know, get the idea for this? And she started asking me a bunch of questions about it. And I was, you know, kind of like, finally I was like, is something wrong? And she says, well, I just thought it was so good that I didn't know whether you wrote it. And I was like, what's that supposed to mean? <laughs> like, give me my A and let's move on. <laughs> you know? right. um, but, you know, I, I, I never really thought like, yeah, I'll be a writer. I knew I loved to write. Um, and so I kept at it in little ways. But I don't think it came until much later that I actually kind of wrapped my brain around the thought that, yes, I could I could do this. I could I could write a book. Um, What what do you remember about that story that uh, that raised eyebrows? Well, I I I think for her and I I won't I won't name her because um, (laughs) I think she's still alive. But um, I think for her, she said that, well, the characters just seem so 
uh, vibrant and and they seem so real. And I was like, I thought that was the assignment. We were supposed to bring the characters alive. But right. <laughs> um, so, you know, I now looking back on it, you know, I have all kinds of, you know, adult, very jaded thoughts about why she asked me those questions and why she believed what she believed. But sure, you know, what I take away from it is the positive, which is I wrote a story that was engaging and she liked it so much that, you know, she doubted the veracity of my writing it. But nonetheless, I, I take away from that, that she obviously found the story very good. So, yeah. I've talked to a number of writers who had a similar experience to that, you know, that they wrote something and a teacher just couldn't believe that, you know, a young person, um, you know, could have come up with this. And it's just, uh, you know, we we have people that study for years and and get um, uh, master's degrees and, uh, you know, and all of this sort of thing that that, you know, only then learn to um uh, you know, uh, convey a story this way or, or you know, create characters that are nuanced and and all of this. And, you know, sometimes you just have the gift of storytelling and it's, you know, it's something intangible that we can't necessarily put our fingers on, but but it's very real and, and it it happens with people. Um, do, do you come from a family of storytellers or was there um, any anything uh, or any people in your life or situations that that kind of kindled that in you or was just do you just have the storytelling gene um that's a really good question i mean i come from a long line of you know, BSers in my family, <laughs> you know, those people who sit around and tell the, you know, oh, yeah. the whale kind of story. You're like, uh, Uncle So-and-so, that didn't really happen. So I think the answer to your question is yes, that, you know, I have, you know, these uncles and aunts and, you know, both my parents could tell a story and, you know, oh, gosh, my brothers, they... Oh, gosh, they were like the king of, you know, big, tall lies. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, I think that was a different sort of storytelling. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I come from a family that's very, you know, very much engaged and likes to talk and, you know, likes to share stories and things like that. And I, you know, I even have siblings who dabble in writing and things like that. So, yeah, I guess the answer probably is, yeah. So, Wanda, you uh, as as someone who who could write a story and and had um, at least some aspiration to, uh, you know, to follow this into um, a professional pursuit at some point. Um, you did the most natural thing that anyone could do, and you went into law. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what what got you interested in in uh, pursuing the law first off? I think it was actually because I did like to write, and so I kind of held it secret because I, I'm the youngest of seven kids, and so you know, money was always a little tight. So I was encouraged to, you know, pursue a quote unquote real job. Um, And, you know, I love writers, 
but I think that there's still that misconception, at least it was amongst, you know, my, my family, my parents that, uh, you know, that's not a job where you can make a living, support a family, do all these things. And so I was really encouraged to find a real job as, as it was said. And um, so that's why, yeah, that's why I wound up as a lawyer, because at least I still got an opportunity to write. I mean, lawyers do a lot of reading. They do a lot of writing. It's a very different type of um, writing. But nonetheless, I still felt like I got the opportunity to tell a story, because when you are you know, writing, you know, a brief or trying to persuade a jury or something, you really are kind of telling a story um, yeah. within the, the confines of, you know, the legal rules, but nonetheless, you're telling a story. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I never lost my love for words and writing. Um, I think I just decided you know, I, I do a different thing first. And I I guess in the back of my mind, maybe I always knew I was going to come back to this um, because I had so many fits and starts with it. You know, I kind of started, do something. Maybe I was a little afraid. I'd do something else. Maybe, you know, so it was kind of drips and drafts. So I think I always knew I was going to be here, not specifically with this book per se, but I, I always knew somehow I was going to to write. It was always going to stay in my life. Wanda, you you live in Atlanta now, is that right? Correct. Um, are you from Atlanta? I am not. I'm actually from Cleveland, Ohio. Okay. Um, I've lived here in Atlanta, gosh, for over twenty years. Okay. All right. So so you're you're a, a transplanted Atlanta native. Right. Um. <laughs> I am. I, I moved down here after law school for my very first job and I met my husband two weeks later. And, and then, you know, we dated, we got married and we, you know, moved to some other places. We moved around, but then we came back here because he's from here. He's originally from Atlanta. Gotcha. Um, and so I have, you know, lots of in-laws and extended family here. So this is home. Well, for the for the listeners benefit where we are recording this um, the middle of the week, uh, the week previous to when you're hearing this and uh, Atlanta began their World Series run uh, last mm-hmm. night, the Braves. And, mm-hmm. you know, for all of us that live in the southeast, uh, the Atlanta Braves are our local hometown team and uh so go braves Um, Braves, and they won the first game yes they did yes they did in in dramatic fashion it was a fantastic game um so um i ask you about atlanta because um i'm i'm intrigued by how a sense of place um, has a way of of seeping into our writing, and and sometimes it's, you know, very evident because uh, we'll write books that are set in in the place where we're from, but sometimes that um, you know a sense of place works in, in in different unique ways. Do you feel like that Atlanta um, seeps into your writing, or or maybe um, Ohio and you know where you spent some of your formative years? Um, does a sense of place affect the kinds of stories or the kinds of characters that you create? Mm, 
It's a good question. I think for um, all her little secrets, it absolutely did. Um, a lot of the things that went into the book uh, were intentional because of uh, the place, the setting, um, the fact that Atlanta, you know, was at one time <clears throat> the um, the the capital, so to speak, of the Confederate military operations, but it's also uh, the cradle of the civil rights movement. And, you know, the fact that there are Confederate soldiers carved into the side of Stone Mountain. And we also have um, streets named John Lewis Parkway. I mean, it's a city of dichotomies. Right. And this book, um, I think, taps into a lot of that, of course. But I thought it was all also the perfect place to explore what happens when those kinds of dichotomies collide. Um, so yeah, for me, it was very important. It was intentional that yeah. the story take place here in Atlanta. But of course, Elise Littlejohn, that's the, the name of the protagonist and all her little secrets, Elise Littlejohn's story, you could find that story anywhere in this country. Sure, um, sure. Women who are, you know, underestimated, but undeterred. You'll find that story in any city um, in this country. 100%. Dabble is a proud sponsor of Author Stories. Dabble is an easy-to-use cloud-based writing tool that gives writers a way to organize, plot, and create amazing stories wherever they are. Write in our desktop app, on your Mac or Windows computer, tablet, or mobile device. Dabble syncs your latest version with the cloud on all your devices. Write anywhere and anytime inspiration strikes. We got you. Dabble is my preferred writing tool, and I think it will be yours as well. Visit DabbleWriter.com for your free trial. You have an amazing story idea. You execute the writing and editing flawlessly, and now the only thing missing are readers. We can help you go from author to author superhero with Story Origin. Story Origin is a one-stop shop for marketing tools with a community of amazing authors working together to find reviewers, build mailing lists, increase sales, and collect feedback from beta readers. Everything an author needs, all in one place from providing review copies or beta copies, reader magnets to ensure you stay connected with readers, easily distribute audio promo codes, universal retail links to send readers directly to the proper point of purchase, or provide direct download links for members of your mailing list. Story Origin has all the tools you need in one easy-to-use site. Use the promo code ASP21 at checkout when subscribing to the yearly plan and you will get 10% off your first year. This code will expire December 31st, so hurry over and subscribe now. StoryOriginApp.com So, um, Wanda, where does your love of uh, twisty thrillers come from? Um, this is, and I meant what I said earlier, this is one of my favorite books of the year. And because it is so 
unpredictable and um you know at least takes us to places that that i was surprised to go um surprised in a good way and the story just you know the breakneck twist and turns all throughout which is just a you know, a, a masterpiece of, of of storytelling. Um, where does your love of those types of stories come from? Oh, first of all, thank you very much for those kind words. Um, gosh, I it sounds kind of funny, but I, as a child, I always had my nose in a book, and um, so you know. Like most kids and most parents, you know, they kind of like turn that light off and go to sleep. And so, you know, I was always hearing this, you know, turn those lights off, get to bed. And I wanted to finish a chapter or, you know, finish some section of a book that I was reading. And so I was always trying to race through the story, which doesn't lend itself very well for like the classics, but it's another yeah. story for another time. Um, <laughs> And so I always liked books that um, were, I guess, what you call a fast read. So, you know, books that kind of, you know, hit the ground running and yeah. dragged me through the story because maybe intrinsically I kind of felt like, you know, somebody was going to come behind me and say, turn those lights off and go to bed. Um, but I, I think I just always gravitated to the genre just because I think it just it's so fascinating. Um, I've always loved mysteries and thrillers and um, gosh, I just, I, I really couldn't tell you a specific reason, but I, I think maybe it's from that experience of, you know, always wanting to just keep reading, but knowing that, okay, just one more chapter, just one more chapter. So I tried to write a book that, you know, people would read, go, okay, just one more chapter. Yeah. <laughs> well, you definitely story. did that. You definitely <laughs> did that. Um, Wanda, um, all her little secrets, and, and we'll get um, into more particulars about the story in just a minute, but um, you touch on some very timely topics, some some topics that we as a culture and society are, are talking about more and more and things are coming to the forefront. Um, but you talk about them in such a way um, that that they are totally believable. And I I've, I dare say that you will it, – it's stories like this that will get more people talking about some of the, the issues. And I'm being a little vague because I don't want to give away too much of the story. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll let you kind of tackle some of that in a minute. Um, but you, you do it in such a way that you – I think – you have the ability to bring people into the conversation that wouldn't normally be in the conversation because, you, you know, maybe people are, are uncomfortable talking about certain things or, or feel that they don't have certain standing in it. So they just would rather just stay out of it because, they, you know, they don't want to, you know, be on the wrong side of a conversation because they, they just don't they don't know how to handle it. Um, but what you've done is you have given us very believable characters that wind up in very believable situations. We can totally see how some of these things unfold. And and you walk us through that through characters that we begin to love and that we really connect with. Um, my question is, were you thinking about some of these 
bigger societal issues, some of these bigger questions and and things that we really need to wrestle with. Um, Were you thinking about those types of things from the beginning and then found a way uh, to deliver that through story or um, or were you just thinking of a great story and you just happened to, you know, these these incidents just happened to really work with the story? Hmm. I think what my intention was when writing this book, I wanted to explore what one black woman goes through when she lives in this America and when she works in corporate America. And, you know, for lack of better phrasing, it's hard to be black and female in this country. And so I set out to explore kind of what is that experience like? What is it like to have all the educational pedigree and, you know, surround yourself in the cloak of success, but you're still black and you're still female and you still, you know, have to navigate these predominantly white spaces um, where you're the only one or one of a few, or you are trying to just go out and have brunch and do a little shopping with your girlfriend. Um, what is that experience like? And um, so I tapped into um, some real lived experiences, of course. I, I tapped into those experiences that, you know, my friends, other women I've talked to have had that, um, you know, it, it's it's the small things. Somebody butchers your name instead of just asking, how do I pronounce your name if you have an, unusually, an unusual spelling? Or that someone, you know, would, would gaslight you and, and dare to tell you something that your own eyes and ears tell you is not true. Um, So you, you know, that that's a lot to handle. And so one of the things that um, I know early readers have commented on is like, oh my gosh, you have this opening scene where she does what seems like the unthinkable. But when you go down a few layers, you find that this young woman has been living the unthinkable, that, you know, what is in her backstory is just, you know, really terrible. And the fact that she still overcomes what are near insurmountable odds to do all these things that everyone tells her she should be. You should be smart, you should be professional, you should be, you know, well-dressed and you should be eloquent. And she does all those things and she's still treated not much better than what she was in her backstory. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely it does. Um, one of the things that I love so much um uh about Elise Littlejohn is that 
um, she, you, you could have easily made a character who was this perfect Mary Sue who, um, you know, had no past and, uh, you know, was just, we all know, you know, kids that just seem like they're, they just live a charmed life, you know, and they, um, and, and at least may, may have that, um, image on the outside, but she does have a past. She does have things that she's wrestling with and, um, running from in, in a certain sense. And, um, then when faced with, uh, with a tragedy that's right in front of her, um, she does, she behaves in a way that, that is, uh, um, you know, not how we think that she should have behaved. You, you know, you, you made her a very real character is what I'm saying. Um, mm-hmm. where did the character of Elise come from? Mm, gosh. Um, Elise is like an amalgam of women that I've known and women that I've met. And one of the things that I tried to do in this book is show kind of different slices of, you know, female life. And if you if you step back from the book and look, nearly every woman in the book is kind of on her own journey, whether it is Elise or it's her friend Grace or, you know, um, even Willow who is her white female colleague in the executive suite in the executive suite, excuse me. She too is kind of on a journey to navigate um, this space that is kind of a good old boy space. And so I, I wanted to, to show, you know, kind of what does that journey look like for these, these different women? Um, one one reviewer was very gracious and said um, that the book reminded them of, you know, John Grisham's firm. And this was such a great legal thriller. And I was like, yes. very, very grateful for that comment. I just hope people understand that I didn't set out to write legal thrillers. I really want to write, you know, women's stories. Um, not necessarily legal stories, uh, although this story takes place within the context um, of a legal story, but it, it really is about um, uplifting and shining a light on the stories of women in this world. That's what I really set out to do. So Wanda, you know, I've, after um, pursuing an education in law and then uh, practicing law, and you, you've you know done a number of things, what was it that brought you back around to writing? We we know that you had this early love of writing and and um, and and love of of stories and 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 books, uh, but what what told you that it was time to um, you know see if you had that novel in you? Mm. Yeah, I. Um... I wrote the first draft of this book in 2008, and then I put it aside. I I actually put it away and didn't work on it for probably seven years. Wow. Because I convinced myself that no one was going to want to read a story about a Black woman in her 40s who dealt with, you know, all sorts of abominable people. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, <laughs> have you seen the news lately? <laughs> <laughs> we all are, right? right. <laughs> and then about six years ago, 
um, I had a health scare and I got through it, but you know, like, you know, a lot of people, I know it seems kind of cliche, but you know, that health challenge was an epiphany for me because I started to ask myself, gosh, what is it that I'm doing for me? I'm doing everything. I work in this very stressful job. You know, I have kids, I have a family, you know, I'm doing everything for everybody, but what gives me joy? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I tapped back into that girl with her nose in a book growing up on the east side of Cleveland. And I pulled that manuscript back out. And it was bad. Oh, gosh, Hank, it was bad. <laughs> <laughs> it was really bad. But There's nothing like several years perspective on a story reading back. <laughs> right? over. That's, yeah, I know you exactly say, what you're talking about. And, um, but that was okay because I, I decided I was committed to it and I could make bad better. Yeah. So I um I started working on it again and, and then had another, you know, five years or so of rejection before we got to this point. But I I I really decided that, you know, this is what I because let me step back for a minute. I remember, and this was years and years and years ago, I read this book. And I'm not going to name the author or the name of the book, but I, I believe I was pregnant with my first child and I read this book and it was just God awful. And I remember saying to myself, and, and I can see the, the, the book, I could see myself. I remember closing that book and going, I could write a book better than this. Right. And, you know, but then I, again, I convinced myself that, oh, everybody says that. Everybody says, oh, I could write a book. And you know what? Probably everybody could if they committed themselves to yeah, it. Because but a few, <laughs> everybody says that, but a few actually do it. Yeah, it's tough. It's it tough. Is. Writing a book is hard, hard work. And I find that, you know, the the scenes and the, the things in the book that really resonate with people, you know, they always say, oh, this particular scene, oh my gosh. And I think to myself, oh God, I struggled so much with that scene. So like the scenes that people really love are the scenes that were the hardest. I mean, it's hard, hard work. But that also means that those are scenes that the most love and care went into, because when it is hard, you dig in and, and you work it out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, that I, I, I love what you've done with the book. So when when you come back to it and you start looking at it, um, you you had this epiphany that I can I can take something that's not perfect and I can work on it. Um, which is com a completely different place than staring at the blank page, wondering mm -hmm. if there is a story. Um, you know, the the old saying, you can you can edit a bad story. Um, it's hard to edit a blank page. There, you know, you, you need something to start with. Um, how, how did you start approaching the editing process? Did you, uh, you know, map it out, kind of see what you had, and then, you know, look at ways to – to start tweaking here and there? What, what was your editorial process like? The first thing I, I remember about looking at 
that years old draft was that the the characters didn't seem um, they seem flat. And I think the reason why they seem flat is because I was writing what I thought people would want characters to say, mm. if that makes any sense, instead sure. of writing characters that would say things that you or I would say. Right. And um, so I remember one of the first things I did when I committed to doing this is I signed up for a workshop. And um, it was it's funny because in that workshop, um, the instructor, you know, he was kind of giving out these, you know, do's and don'ts, which is why I never tell people how they should write their book. You, you write the book that you want to write because sure. one of the first things he said is don't ever write your books with dual timelines because you know some people love one timeline other people love the other but nobody's gonna love both of them and I was like oh okay and I held on to that that piece of advice for a very very long time and thank god I decided to drop it um yeah that's terrible advice. Dual timelines. <laughs> <laughs> terrible advice <laughs> But yeah, I, I set about, um, you know, doing workshops and taking night classes and, you know, I'm doing all this while I am working full time and I have, um, I started out with two kids and the time it's taken me to write this book, I've had a baby. Okay. So, you know, <laughs> I had kids, um, but wherever I could snatch time and, and, uh, I, I started with the characters first and after the characters, you know, when I kind of got my groove with who Elise was and who some of the other major characters were in the book, um, then I went to pacing because I knew that, you know, kind of that was what I liked. And it took me a while to get the pacing just right um, because the book was originally told um, in just one linear fashion. Like I said, I didn't put the dual timelines in until later. Um, so I was working in a linear fashion and it just, you know, it just was not coming together um, for me. But, you know, eventually it it all did. It, it, it is all a process that evolves because, you know, once I started to learn about characterization, that helped me with pacing. And then once I got the groove of pacing, that kind of helped me with um, setting, for example. You know, it was like, gosh, where are these people? And, you know, what does this setting mean to them? Why are they standing in this room having this conversation and what's going on around them? And so things like that. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a process. Writing a book is hard and it's a process. <laughs> it evolves. It, it is, but, uh, but you figured it out. You cracked the code, uh, because all her little secrets is a fantastic thriller. And, and I love how you, um, mentioned earlier that, that it kind of does straddle, um, between legal thriller on one side and, and, um, uh, more of a psychological thriller or, or a domestic thriller or whatever the 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 nuance categories that we're coming up with um you know these days but it, it really does straddle those two worlds very nicely and i think the the 
the broad appeal of this book is uh, it, is is one of the great uh, things about it. it. It really does appeal to a, a wide, wide audience. Um, Wanda, you know, after finishing this book and, and, you know, getting it out to the world and, you know, when we're, when people are, are hearing this, the, the book is available, you know, to go grab at your local bookstore or through the Amazon links that we'll have in the show notes. Um, but what are you working on now? Or do you, have you dreamed up a follow-up for this book? <laughs> um, yeah, as a matter of fact, when I, I am done here with the podcast. I better get my butt back in chair and get to working. <laughs> I owe William Morrill a, a second book in a couple months. But um, yeah, I am um, working on kind of the final revisions of my second book, which is a thriller as well. Um, but it is it takes place in a historical setting this time. Um, so it's 1964, Jackson, Mississippi, and the uh, Jim Crow South, and two uh, black sisters become embroiled in the murder of a white man, and they take off running, and one heads north, and the other winds up in a small town in Georgia. Um, but what the sisters don't realize is there's someone who is hot on their trail and he's got some secrets of his own too. And um, unfortunately it comes to a deadly showdown. So, Oh, I cannot wait. I can't wait to see what you do with that Wanda. All her little secrets is available everywhere. Now there's links to it in the show notes. Uh, like I mentioned, uh, also go visit your local bookstores and, you know, Local bookstores have had a rough time the last year, year and a half or so. Go support your local bookstores. Um, Wanda, if people are just discovering you and want to dig into all the great stuff that you're up to, where can they connect with you online? Sure. I am at Wanda Morris Writes, W-R-I-T-E-S, Wanda Morris Writes at uh, writes.com. Again, Wanda Morris Writes.com. And, uh, of course, you can find me on all the social media. I'm on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Probably way too much these days. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I'm so excited about the book. So, yeah. So, check me out. Well, we will link up all those uh, places in the show notes of this episode to make it easy for folks to find you. Wanda, this has been so much fun chatting. Um, thank you so much for taking time to come on the show. We are going to send everyone to pick up their copy of all her little secrets. Thank you so much for having me, Hank. Now stay tuned for an audiobook excerpt from Richard Glebe's The Jason Crane Series. You took a terrible risk tonight. Why? You don't know? The first rule. I was told by a friend that I shouldn't reveal my gift to anyone who doesn't have a gift themselves. That's exactly right. Because everyone we tell dies. Yes, you might have marked me for death. Made you a target for a ghost. Why can't people know what we can do? What makes it so dangerous? Valerie took up the fireplace prongs and stabbed the logs. It's called the Great Curse. Sparks exploded from glowing crevices and drizzled upwards, ricocheting off the black belly of the cauldron turning into tiny ashes that disappeared up the chimney. It was cast by 
a powerful witch, over 300 years ago. Witch? Sorry, but witch? Please, there's no such thing. Valerie closed her eyes. A spoon leapt from Jason's dish and caught him in the temple. He wiped melted ice cream from his cheek. You were saying? She cast the curse to stop the witch trials. In Salem? Jason searched his memory. 1690-1692. They burned her alive in the Salem Common. The only witch to be burned. The cauldron smoked slightly. Its contents had evaporated. A sharp, charred scent filled the room. Wait, said Jason. There were no witches. They were just, I don't know, victims of religious hysteria, right? So you're saying the witch trials were justified? Justified? So if a witch did exist, it would be okay to kill her? No, I just thought... You're right. Never mind. There was one witch in Salem, at least. A woman with a powerful gift. She only wanted to protect people like us. To give the gifted their anonymity, refuge. She cast the great curse as she burned. She proclaimed that mortals who know a witch shall know death. And that is the great curse. And it's still in effect after all this time. Mortal, as in non-gifted. No mortal can know about you, about any authentic witch. Jason winced. Isn't there another word besides that? She shrugged. So no one can know what I am, what I can do, or else they become a target. Right. The spirit world will obey the great curse and try to kill them. The spirit world. The other realm. Jason rubbed his eyes. How much of this was reality and how much of this was Valerie's nutty brand of mysticism? He felt himself pulling back, as usual, for fear of contagion. He'd spent his whole life reading science fiction. He hated paranormal tales. This was... this was... not his genre.